Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're, we're in this series called Pray, and it's just a little three-part series. We've been just talking about the different aspects. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how to pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray. If you want to find in your Bibles Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and turn there, and we'll, we'll get there uh, eventually. I've got some other passages we'll look at as well, but Matthew 6 is where we'll kind of center our time. Um, we're really just talking about connecting with God in prayer. I, I've told this story before, but you know, when you're me and you've been preaching at, at one place as long as I have, you probably have heard almost all the stories I'm ever going to tell. But um, so you've probably heard this. But I, we all go through these things that a theologian would call a dark night of the soul. There are these things called the dark night of the soul. And, and the best way I can describe the dark night of the soul, and some of you may be going through that right now. I'm going to describe this, and you may, at the end of it, hold up your hand and say, Brett, that's exactly where I am right now. But the dark night of the soul is when you just spiritually feel like the lights have gone out. Um, you're not really sure about a lot of things. You're kind of groping in the dark when it comes to spiritual stuff. You you may or may not believe that God's really there. You may or not believe that he hears your prayers. You, you might be, I mean, I think what happens sometimes is you come to church on Sunday because it's kind of your habit to come to church, but they're probably, for some of you, unless I miss my guess, have come to church and thought, you know, I'm really not into it today. I'm, I'm not into, I haven't been into it for a month or three months because I don't really know where me and God are. And, and uh, I've, I've gone through those kind of periods, these dark nights of the soul where you're just asking questions. You've got way more questions than you've got answers. There can be a frustration with God. I, I would stop short for me, personally, of saying that I've ever been angry at God. I don't really think I've ever been angry at God. Some of you have expressed those kind of sentiments to me, and that doesn't make you a bad person. And certainly, God understands when you, when you get frustrated and even angry, I think, with him. But, but this one particular occasion that I'm talking about, I was a junior in Bible college. And I was preparing to go out and to get a ministry and to teach people about Jesus. And um, I found myself going to class, being taught things from the Bible, reading things in the Bible that I wasn't sure were true. And the thought just kept hitting me, Brett, you're going to get out and you're going to go talk to adults about these things and you're not even sure you believe those. And I had this kind of crisis set in on me personally and I had to work through it and some of it definitely was what happens for all of us if you if you come to faith early in your life let's say I'm going to say before you're 18 and sometimes even later than that but for those of us who come to Christ a little earlier in life what happens what has to happen really for me especially I came to Christ when I was 10 years old I knew exactly what I was doing I knew who Jesus was. I knew what my sin was. I knew that my sin had cost me Jesus' life. I knew I stood in need of forgiveness. Now, at 10 years old, I haven't done great, horrible things. You know, I, I get tickled at sometimes and um, just think about some little 10-year-old kid going, God, thank you for forgiving me for everything I've done. Well, how much can you do when you're 10? But, but I knew what was going on, and I knew Jesus loved me, and I knew that my sins had been cleansed. I, I got all that. I matured late in a lot of different ways but when it came to spiritual stuff I got it pretty good and and I understood all that but but in large part my faith was mom's faith 
And I believed in Jesus because my mama said there was a Jesus. And you don't question what mama says, right? I mean, mama says there's Jesus, there's Jesus. And so I grew up loving God. I grew up watching my mother pray. I prayed because I saw my mother pray. She taught me how. Um, But there comes this point when you go from childhood to adulthood where you kind of have to trade in the things that have been important to your parents and see if they're still important to you. Does that make sense? And one of the areas where we do that is in our faith. I think that we kind of, sometimes when we come to faith early, we kind of come in on mom and dad's coattails and there comes this moment in adulthood where we say, okay, this has to become mine. And in that process, it can be a pretty tricky thing. It can be a scary thing. It can be very difficult. Um, sometimes once in a while you'll send one of your kids off to college and they'll run into that you know sophomore philosophy professor whose goal in life is to destroy your child's faith in Jesus right and they come back from college and you have that moment where you're talking about faith and you hear your kid look at you and say mom dad I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore and I've had moms come to me in tears my son doesn't believe in Jesus you know it's just this crisis moment and you know they kind of look at me funny when I kind of put my hands together and rub them and say okay now we're getting somewhere because there has to be this moment where for all of us where we come into adulthood and we've believed those things as kids but now we've got to bring real life experience to it now we've got to really hold it up and say okay do I really believe this is what happened. Do I believe Jesus raised from the dead? And I went through this time in Bible college where I struggled. Just to be honest with you, I struggled. I, I didn't know what I believed. I didn't know if I believed. And I really am not the sit under a tree and contemplate type, but there for a week or two, under a shade tree in, our, in front of our dormitory, I would, there were a couple of times I just went out there for what seemed like forever and sat in the shade and just tried to sort out my thoughts and tried to pray. I wasn't very confident in anything. But eventually I worked through my faith concepts and issues and finally came to a place where my faith was not no longer my mother's faith, but it was my faith. And I believed those things because I believed them and because I had looked at the evidence and because I had thought them through, not because someone said, hey, this is what you should believe. And so... Um, I I think we all go through those things, but I I tell you that story basically to say this. Ever since that time, because I did some intense, I guess you'd call it praying, I did some intense praying through that dark night of the soul, and I, I say all that just to say I've never prayed the same since then. Going through those days in a lot of ways just changed the way I approach God, changed the way I talk to God, changed the way I hear God's voice even in my own life. And so it, it just changed me. Um, as my kids grew up, each night it was my job to, to go in and to pray with my kids. It, I looked forward to it. I, look, I looked forward to it most of the time. You have those nights when you've been mad at your kids and then you've got to go in and pray with them. Isn't that the hardest time ever? Because like you, you want, you know, 10 minutes ago you wanted to strangle them because they got water all over something or whatever, and then all of a sudden now I got to go in and be spiritual and pray with my kids. And, and that, that was, most of the time I really looked forward to going in and praying with my kids. 
But, and before we would pray, I would try to talk to them. I wanted to hear about their day. You know, I wanted to see if there's anything, you know, we, as parents, we try to stay in touch and make sure that we're hearing everything we need to hear. And we would talk a while. And, and before I would pray, I would try to do that with each one of the kids. And, and I remember telling them over and over, listen, you can talk to dad about anything. I want you to know that. My mom and I care, love you deeply. Whatever you need to say to us, you can say to us. I want you to be able to trust us. And so, you know, be careful what you wish for and what you encourage and what you invite because, you know, I told Bennett as when he was, we, Bennett went to Christian school until he was in the fifth grade. All our kids did. And then we sent him to, to Otter Creek. And, um, you know, there was, I was, with each one of them, I would kind of go through the speech of, hey, you know, I know that class started with prayer. You're not going to experience that at, the, at, at Otter Creek, and, and this happened in class, and you probably aren't going to experience that at Otter Creek. Otter Creek's a great school. Teachers are great. They're going to love you, but it's going to be different, and I want you to know what those differences are, and one of the things that's going to be different is you're probably going to hear some words and not know what they are, and I just want to caution you, don't repeat a word if you don't know what it means. Well, Bennett, bless his heart, he took that to heart, and he listened to old dad, and so one day, I'm, I'm there getting ready to pray with Bennett before we go, put him to sleep, and, and I said, you got anything we need to talk about? He said, yeah, dad, he said, I heard a word today, and I don't know what it means, and then he told me the word, and I was glad he didn't know what it meant, <laughs> but I kind of had to turn away so that he couldn't see me laugh because it was funny. It was a word that you don't want your kid to repeat, you know. Uh, and true to what I told him, I turned around and told him what the word meant and why we don't use it. And, you know, and he, you know, wide-eyed, okay. Um, be careful what, you, what, you're, what you're after there. But I wanted the kids to know you can talk to us about anything. Nothing's out of bounds. Nothing's off limits. You, you can trust us. You, if there's something you need to know, it's better to ask us than to, than to find out the hard way by asking a friend, and you may be embarrassed, just, just come to us and talk to us. We love you. It was just important to me that they know that. And since that dark night of the soul, I just pray differently. I want to read a passage to you to get us started this morning. This is, you don't need to turn here. We're gonna, we'll, we'll center in Matthew 6. But Luke chapter 11 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. The disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for a while now. They've seen him do all kinds of things. You know, they've seen him take a little bit of food and feed a lot of people with it. They've seen him turn water into wine. They no doubt have seen him heal different people. What's interesting is when you see Jesus doing one of these miracles, you never see the disciples stop Jesus mid-miracle or at the end and say, Lord, how did you do that? Show us how to do that so that we can do that and we can tell people who you are and we want to know how to do miracles too. You don't see that. But when they saw him pray, this is what they said. Lord, teach us how to do that. We want to know how to do what we just saw you do. We want to know how to pray. Praying's important. We want to know how to do it. And you know it had to be intimate. You know it had to be very relational. It was a connecting with his holy, heavenly father. 
And something about what they saw made them jump up and say, now Jesus, now that we've seen you do that, would you please show us how to do that? There was a huge hunger deep inside the disciples, and so Jesus did. He taught them how to pray. We find that in Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. This is Jesus talking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I would tell you that the Lord's prayer is a gift to us. It's truly a gift to us. It's God saying, I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to show you and teach you how to pray. And I want us to look this morning, There's, there are five um, words that I want to associate with this Lord's Prayer to try to help you. They all begin with a P, I don't normally do that, but this one works out that way. There's, there's, there's five words that I want you to kind of focus in on when we're praying and spending time with Him. The first thing, that we're, there are things that we're seeking. First thing we should seek is God's presence. We need to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. He starts off, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, it's an interesting word. Greek is a very descriptive language. It can be extremely precise. And that word hallowed in Greek, you would say it hagiadzo. I don't really know Greek all that well, but it's just fun to say that, hagiadzo. Kind of makes me want ice cream right now is what what it really makes me want, but Hagiadzo, it means, it means to make holy, to separate, to, to consecrate, to set apart. In other words, if I had five uh, rings on this desk and they were all painted a certain color and I wanted to consecrate or set apart one of those rings, I would paint it a different color. And when you walked up, you would, your eyes would be drawn to the one that was different. You, would, you might say that ring is hagiadzo. It's different consecrated it's it's set apart and jesus is saying when you come to the father recognize he is holy he's pure he's set apart there are times that god's holiness and purity are so prevalent for us i think that there are times that when we pause to pray we're very aware of the holiness of god i think the purity of god is something that we there are times when we pause to pray we're very aware of the 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 purity of God and the holiness of God and I I get it that happens with me when I pray too but there are other times I think that we just kind of forget that God's holy and pure and massive and huge don't we 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 can kind of forget that we in our attempts to make God relatable and I'm guilty of this as a pastor I think a lot of pastors are guilty of this preachers across the country what we're trying to do is we're trying to make God relatable But sometimes in the process, we can try to make God so relatable that we steal away that part of God that is totally separate and other than us, and bigger, and and holy, and sanctified, and and just just all that stuff that we're not. I think there's nothing wrong with us trying to relate to God, but I think sometimes in our in our endeavor to relate to God, we lose this bigness of God. It's easy to do. We're busy, life sets in, we're, we just kind of lose sight of the fact that God's holy and set apart. And as much as I want you to feel 
an intimacy with God when you pray. And I do. I want you to feel that. We also have to resist the pull to overlook his holiness and his purity. The reality is when we get alone with God and we're seeking his presence, we're seeking a big God. He's awesome. He's holy. He's set apart. He's hagiadzo. He's hallowed. We have the opportunity to worship the God who created the the universe. He created you and me. I was watching the other day on, uh, I think it was National Geographic. They were they flipping through the channels and they were, they were underwater. They were looking at stuff under the sea and I heard, um, there was a, they were looking at the seven deadly seas, I think was the name of the program. And I heard a, a scientist make this statement and it captured my imagination. I thought, man, that is fascinating. He said, we have only been able to, to explore two percent of the sea i mean all the water that's on the earth he said we've been able to explore about two percent of it which is fascinating and and they went on and they they talked about there there's a there's a place i wish i could remember the name challenger deep i think is the name of it it's it's um i want to say it's off the coast of the philippines but i'm not really sure now but it's the deepest part of the ocean floor it's like eight miles down and they talked about how they built this, they designed this little craft. These two very, very brave souls got in this thing and tried to go to the bottom of Challenger Deep. And they talked about how the, the further down you go, the more weight the, the vessel feels because of the, the pressure of the water and how, much, how heavy water is on an item like that. And they got to the bottom and started hearing things crackle. All right, I'm out at that point. Let's, let's go back to the top. And uh, just fascinating. And, and, you know, God's all, he, he created the 600 different kinds of beetles. He made grasshoppers. He made mosquitoes. Don't really know why he made mosquitoes, but he made mosquitoes. You know what I mean? He made all these things. He, he knows so much. And in our effort to get eight miles down to see the ocean floor, and they, they talk about all the animals that we don't even know that exist in the ocean because we haven't been able to get down deep enough to see them. God knows they're there. God knows their name. God knows how they function. God knows if one of them got sick, he knows how to fix it. This God who is awesome and sovereign and who created everything, we have the opportunity to speak to the creator of the universe. It's mind-boggling. He's sovereign, and we are so small. So when we come to God, we have to intentionally seek his presence with a worshipful heart. Second thing we got to do is we have to seek God's priorities over our own. This is very hard. It's very hard because we're naturally selfish. We go to bed at night, and our first thoughts when we go to bed and when we wake up in the morning, our first thoughts are generally for us. We're thinking about us. What's going to go on in my day tomorrow? What's going to happen? What happened in my day today? What should I have said to them? We're generally thinking things about us. We wake up in the morning and it's pretty much, do I feel okay? You know, it's all, it's really pretty much about us. I tell people when we, when I do the Jesus talk, one of the things I say is, you know, we, we really are nothing more than glorified two-year-olds. I've made the comment before that we're not good people who occasionally get it wrong. We're bad people who sometimes get it right. And I've had people 
kind of push back on that and say, Brett, that's not true. I'm really a good person. I say, no, no, you're a glorified two-year-old. We've just, we've learned how to hide it. We've kind of grown up and we've been sophisticated. We've kind of learned how to mask our selfishness. But basically we're two-year-olds. And what what I can tell you about a two-year-old is this. Two-year-olds think the world was created for them. Right? Bring a two-year-old in the room, give him a sucker, let him lick on that sucker for about five minutes, and then take the sucker away from him. What is going to happen? The world comes to an end, right? Because he believes everything revolves around him. And, and you know, we're, we're sophisticated enough and smart enough to know to kind of hide that and not act that way. And we, need, we know that we need to be about other people and think about others because our mama told us to share and all like that. But in all reality, we can be pretty selfish. And usually when we go in to talk to God and we go in for prayer, we can act pretty selfish in our prayer life. And and our prayers kind of sound like, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. I want to talk about my family. I want to talk about my friends. I want to talk about this one who's sick. I want to talk about this one who's going through a hard time. But this is what verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our prayers have a tendency to be kind of selfish. And a lot of times it's about us, and it's all about what I want. It's about what I need. God, I need a new house. I need a new car. I need you to fix that person. God, I need you to move my boss to Thailand. Things would be great for me if you just move my boss to Thailand. You and I are going to be fine. Single people pray not to be single anymore. Sick people pray to be healed. Poor people pray for means. And hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pray those prayers. I'm simply pointing out that left to our own devices, without much counsel, what we do is we pray pretty selfish prayers. The problem is when we pray, we we. We tend to settle there, and that's about all we talk about. And listen, God is certainly interested in your stuff. He is certainly interested in the person in your world or in your life who is giving you trouble or who's sick or someone you love and you don't, you're afraid you might lose them. I mean, he, he's worried about all, he's he, not worried, but he, he's interested in those things for you. But when Jesus taught us to pray, he started off with, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I want to know what's on your mind. I want to know what you think. I want to hear what's on your agenda. We, when we come to God and pray, when we come to before God, it's, it's really got to be all about him and not so much about us all the time. It has to be about who he is. It has to be about what he's doing. It's about what, what, what agenda he's got in the world. We come into our prayer life oftentimes with our agenda. God, I need you to handle that and that. Ask yourself, what are God's priorities? I want to pray according to what God's priorities are. How does God want me to spend my money? Who does God want me to date? We have to come with the realization that it's not all about us. We have to seek his priorities, his plans over us. Where does God want us to live? God, should I take that job in Seattle or should I take this job here? And I'll tell you a story. I don't tell this super often because it's kind of irrelevant um, now because I don't 
I mean, I like it here, and I don't have any plans to go anywhere, but I've had an occasion or two in the last, I've been preaching for 14 years, I've had a chance or two to go do that somewhere else. Someone will come and say, hey, would you be willing to be our preacher? And and, um, that happened, the last time I actually even considered or got serious about that was 05. But it appealed to me, and it appealed to me for purely selfish reasons. Um, and generally when preachers leave someplace, it's usually for selfish reasons. We, we think we're spiritual and we say that God's calling us somewhere else. Um, it's funny how many times preachers get called to Florida. I'm really still trying to figure that out. Pretty sure God's called me to Hawaii a time or two, but but this time came up and I had this, these people were, you know, being nice and saying nice things and come talk to us about this position and there was this part of me that wanted to explore that and I did and so God and I started having these conversations and I gotta admit I was pretty selfish I wasn't interested in God's agenda but as I started to listen and I even said God I think I'm gonna take that job and God said no Brett you're not taking that job no God I really think I'm gonna take the job no Brett you're not taking the job And so as we talked it through, what I heard God say was, Brett, if you go there, in some ways this church starts over. That church is already starting over. I don't need two churches to start over. I want you to stay right where you are and you work in this church. But God, no, 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 Brett, not but God. You just stay put. Okay. But see, our priorities can kind of get in the way of, and we don't oftentimes hear what God's trying to say. And I just let me add, I mean, I, I would hope it speaks for itself. I'm really glad, really glad. I did not go to that other church. I, I am a blessed human being to be the pastor at this church. I love you more than you know, okay, and appreciate you far beyond what you know. But it happens for us, right? We we have these moments where we think, oh God, I'm going to do this. I want to go here. I'm going to do, you know, I, I wanna, I'm, this is my agenda. And God says, no, no, are you interested in my agenda? Do you care what, what I have worked out and what I'm thinking about? Do you, are you interested in, in any of that? There's an interesting passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So really, honestly, the question is, who and what are you seeking? God, before I begin praying, before I give you my agenda, I want to know what you're after. I want to know what's important to you. I want to know what you've got that you need me to do. So ask yourself, what am I seeking before I go to God? Who am I talking to? And what, do I, what am I really wanting him to do? And why do I really want him to do that? I think, I think if we would just listen to our own prayers and we could hear sometimes the selfishness in our own prayers and how we are not prioritizing things God's way sometimes. Just listen to yourself a little bit. I, I don't want our prayers to be selfish. You know, is it all about me and my stuff and God heal this one and take care of that one and I, hey, by the way, I need some more money? Or is my world about his kingdom and is it about serving him and is it about what he wants? 
Our prayers will be different if we're seeking him first. So we want to seek God's presence. We want to seek God's priorities. The third thing is we want to seek God's provision for our daily needs. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. One of the names for for God in the Bible is the, 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 the name Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Isn't that cool? You know, we, we, it, means, it means God is our provider. Jehovah Jireh, God provides. The Lord will provide. Much of the time, we have forgotten that God is our provider. We think we're the provider. I've done sermons on stewardship, and afterward gotten an email from somebody that took issue with something I said about money, and they say, you know, Brett, I work really hard for my money. I earn my money. No, God was gracious enough to give you a job to go earn a living it came from god your job came from god and sometimes people don't want to hear that they want to take credit no brett i provide for my family and i'm saying no god provides for your family some people think that their job provides to them we, we come to god in prayer we have to have this clear understanding that he's our provider everything that we have everything that we are we have because god has given to us He's provided for us, and we're, we're to be praying in such a way that we communicate that we understand that. God, I know you provide for me. You're going to meet my needs. And some of you guys have needs. Some of you come in here this morning, and you've got things that you're talking to God about that I couldn't even imagine being in your shoes. You, some of you are dealing with stuff, and it's scary, and it's dark. And you would look at me and say, Brett, you have no idea. And you're exactly right. I, I don't have any idea. And I would join with you in lifting all those things up. But I'm telling you, God is your provider. And he loves you. And he's going to meet your needs. Jehovah Jireh. Philippians 4 says this, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is a promise, that Jesus will meet your needs. Number four, recognize God's pardon for your sins. And this is probably my favorite part of the sermon. Matthew 6, verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For some of us, that might be a once a week deal, you know, where we slip up one. Maybe you're so good that you only sin once a week. For some of us, it's an every two minute occurrence, right? It's like, oh boy, here we go. It's just this falling down before God and saying, God, I realize that you paid an unbelievable price for me to be able to call myself a forgiven person. I believe that, I I understand that you paid an unbelievable price for me to be able to say that I'm your child. How often, this would be a question for you, how often do you confront your own sinfulness, your own selfishness? And just get broken before God and say, God, without you, I'm lost. Without you, I can't make a right decision. Without you, I don't, I don't seem to ever get this right. God, I'm, I'm guilty. Some are in the room this morning, and, and, and you've, ne- you've never asked God to forgive you. you. You've never received his forgiveness for the very first time, and therefore, you can't call yourself a Christ follower. 
I would strongly, strongly urge you to consider doing that. I would strongly urge you to consider allowing God to forgive you of your sins so that you can be called a child of God because you need to be forgiven. You need a Savior. And, and here's the thing. Most people know that. Most, most people don't need someone like me to stand up in front of you and say, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Most people know that already. I mean, if you've ever even asked your spouse to forgive you for something you've done, you don't even have to believe in God. If you just have ever asked your, your, a friend or a spouse for forgiveness, you know you're, you're not perfect. You know you need something. You can't make it all go good on your own. Can I please urge you to consider giving your life to Christ? And, and while I'm on that subject, just let me say this. The fact that I'm a pastor doesn't make me better than you. I mean, God, I'm not a Christian and because I'm a pastor and I'm not better than you because I'm a pastor. It has nothing to do. We got people that go to church here every Sunday. If we were going to wash windows on Thursday night, there are some of you who would show up and watch us do it, right? I mean, you never miss. And there's people that come to church, maybe you're here for the first time and you, th you feel really far away from God and you think, man, these Christians, I don't know. Because they're all about, they think they're better than everybody else. I'm telling you right now, nobody in the room's better than anybody else. We, it's not about that. Being saved isn't about how good you are. Being saved is about being forgiven. God waits to forgive you. He loves you. And he wants to pardon you, but that's something you've got to receive. That's, that's something you've got to kind of ask for and say, God, I'm, I'm all in on that. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't how good they are. It's that the Christian's been forgiven and the non-Christian hasn't. And the biggest frustration I have as a pastor is that we got people driving up and down Lafayette Avenue who, who aren't forgiven and who wouldn't want to be forgiven, right? But, but apparently we're not doing a good enough job telling them what this is about. Jesus died to give you that. And it's simple to receive it. There are others in the room that maybe it's been a while for you since you just got to your knees and said, God, I just, I, I want to thank you for what you've done in my life. I want to thank you for taking my sins away. I want to thank you for, for forgiving me. Because we can all attest, right? Sin is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. There are addictions, there's lust, there's adultery, there's habits, gossip, lying. I mean, we've all got stuff right we all some all of us could probably find ourselves somewhere on that list and the list would go even further than that i don't know what your deal is it's none of my business what your deal is i, I have no idea what eats your world up spiritually i have no idea what it is that keeps you from wanting to come in and have a conversation with god but there's probably something that that when you sit down to talk to god that thing pops up and it's like man i god doesn't want to hear from me not after what i've done but you need to take those things to God and you need to have an honest conversation with God. 1 John 1, 9 is a beautiful passage of scripture. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from, what's the word up there? All. All. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you're here and you don't go to church that often, I just used a real big church word. I want to tell you what it means. The word righteous, when you see the word righteous, and if you've been going here for a long time, you know this. 
But when you see the word righteous, I want your brain to, to translate that right standing with God. Right standing with God. So if we were to reinterpret that, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, which means we don't have a right standing with God. He will put us in a right standing with him. So we confess and he forgives us and it's finished, it's over, it's gone, it's done. You are washed clean, you are made brand new. I, I, would, I would have you imagine God physically taking your sin putting it in a box, picking it up, and carrying it as far away from you as you can imagine. That's what God has done for you on the cross. And you say, Brett, not me. You, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did last night. I care that you know that God loves you enough to die on a cross for you so that he could take your sins as far, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. There's a passage of scripture that you probably have heard quoted. It talks about, you know, it starts off, I've been crucified with Christ. And everybody knows that passage. It's Galatians 2.20. You've probably heard that quoted. You might be familiar with that. But what happens with famous verses is we generally don't read the verses before them, and we don't oftentimes read the verses after them. So one day I heard somebody quote Galatians 2.20, and I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I live. Christ lives through me. And I thought, I wonder what Galatians 2.21 says. So I looked it up. This has to be one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. Listen to this. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness, a right standing with God, if a right standing with God could be gained through the law, let me rephrase that and say, if a right standing with God can be gained by keeping the rules, Christ died for nothing. Here's a news flash for you. Christ didn't die for nothing. Christ died because we can't keep the rules and we can't make ourselves righteous. So when we come to him and we confess our sin and we say, God, this is where I am, this is who I am, this is what I've done, you aren't telling God something he doesn't already know. I think sometimes we think our praying is informing God. You're not informing God, okay? He knows. He gets it. Your sin is not news to him. But I do think that a smile comes over the face of God. Now, I do believe that our sin breaks the heart of God. Don't get me wrong. I think our sin breaks God's heart. But I think he smiles, too, when he realizes that we're willing to be honest with him and tell him what we've done. Have your kids ever confessed something to you and it's been comical? And, and you know you're supposed to be mad, but you kind of look away and grin because it's funny what they're telling you. And you're supposed to be the parent, and you're supposed to be kind of hardcore, you know, but it's like, man, that is so funny. But do you ever come to God and just say, God, this is where I am. This is what's going on with me. So we're to seek God's presence. We're to seek God's priorities. We're to seek his provision. We're to seek his pardon. And finally, we're to seek God's power over temptation. Matthew 6, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, here's what's going to happen today. You're probably going to go home today, those of you who aren't going to Covered Bridge. <laughs> the rest of you are probably going to go home and turn on your television, and you are going to be tempted to do something that I really want to not have you do, 
you are going to be tempted to root for the Colts over my Cincinnati Bengals today. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but you see, but, but seriously, there is something that's going to happen, especially for us males, there's something that will happen today. There will be images come across our television set, right, guys? Things that we really don't need to see, like that Hardee's commercial. Don't, really don't need to see that Hardee's commercial. But we're going to be tempted to look at things maybe later tonight. You're surfing the channels, and you come across a movie, and there's stuff being shown. And you're like, you know, I probably, probably shouldn't watch that. But you're going to want to see it. It reminds me of the two guys that were in the Baptist church. They were up in the balcony of the Baptist church. Services are going on, and, and you know, it's kind of rocking. Spirit's moving, and things are happening, and the band's just knocking out the, uh, the park, the, the worship stuff, you know, and it gets going so good that this lady falls out of the balcony. She's got her dress on. She, the, the chandelier hooks the belt of her dress, and it catches her, and she's hanging upside down on the, on the chandelier. And her dress has fallen down, and you can see her bloomers. And her, her, the pastor steps up on the podium, and he, you know, he's trying to take control of the situation, and he does what we often try to do with religion, which is to control people. And he says, I'm telling you right now, men, if you look at that woman, God is going to strike your eyes, and he's going to gouge your eyes out. And one old guy leaned over to the other and said, I'm willing to risk an eye. How about you? <laughs> That's funny, I don't care who you are. <laughs> you may be flipping through the channels later tonight and think to yourself, I'm willing to risk an eye, right? I'm willing to risk an eye. I mean, look, we're going to go through temptation. There's a chance today that you're going to be tempted in some way that's a special thing for you. Something that you shouldn't. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. Those aren't playing words, those are real, those are battle, those aren't playground words, they're battlefield words. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy us. I want to read you a passage of scripture and then we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I, I hear this a lot in counseling. When I do counseling with people, um, I hear this, this phrase an awful lot of the time. They'll say, you know, Pastor, I know that the Bible says that, that God won't allow me to experience any more than I can handle. No, actually the Bible doesn't say that. And here's what I believe. I believe that God will allow things to come in that is more than you can handle because I think God wants you to be driven to him. And sometimes when you've got more than you can handle and you need help, you run to God. Sometimes, some of you are going through stuff this morning and it's hard stuff. And you, you feel overwhelmed and you think it's bigger than you and you think, I can't handle this. What's going on there is you're being driven to God. Sometimes our worst things in our life are the things that drive us to God. But what the Bible does say is that no temptation has seized you Except what is common to man, and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He will provide a way out. Do you want to know what my brain sees when I read this passage? 
Show them, Leanne. How many people played Pac-Man when they were little? Okay, so you know what this is, right? And you know that the beautiful part of the Pac-Man board were the two alleys on the side, because when, when those ghosts were in hot pursuit, if you could get to those alleys, you could go in one side and come out the other, and there was a way of escape for you. When I hear this passage, that's what I think about. God will always leave you a way out. You, listen, there's a lot of things you can say. This is something you cannot say. I had to. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. There's a way out, okay? Temptation is strong, and we fall to temptation all the time. I'm not saying that, that we're not going to fall to temptation. What I'm saying is we can't say, I didn't have any choice. No, we had a choice. God's going to provide a way out. And when you're going to God, and you're praying, God, help me with this, the I think the Bible suggests that there is a supernatural thing that's going to happen where he's going to help you overcome some of the stuff that you're facing. Look, life is not easy. It's going to beat us up. Life is difficult. But God will provide a way out. So I just, we're, we're done, okay? We're done with this series. I just, I want to pray over you. I want to pray for anybody that's in the room that's never given their life to Christ. I want to pray for the rest of us that he'd make us better prayers, that we would spend more time maybe this week just having honest conversations with God. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, for the one that's in the room this morning that thinks that salvation and things of God are all about lists and do's and don'ts and got to do this and can't do that and can't go there and can't say this, God, help them to see it's not about any of that stuff. Help them to see that it's about being forgiven and help them to see that everybody in this room is a train wreck, that you died for all of us and that you have saved us and that it's not our performance that makes us great or better or holy or pure. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that fell from the cross that covers every single one of us who are Christians. And that if someone would just humble themselves and say, I need a savior and I need to be forgiven, that you stand ready to forgive them and call them your child. Would you please help them to see that? Father, for the rest of us this morning, we would probably all admit that our prayer life is not what it should be. We would admit that our prayer life is probably pretty self-centered, that we don't do a lot of the things that we've seen this morning on this list. And Lord, my prayer for our congregation this morning is that as we engage you in prayer this week, that our prayer life would be just a little bit better because we practice some of these things. That we would find this gut-level honesty with you just kind of lay it out there and let you know where we are. God, this is what I struggle with. I want what you want for my life, and it's hard for me to even say that. But God, I trust you. Father, this morning, I just ask you to meet us where we are. And I know you do that, and I know we just bask in your love this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.